Welcome to Mission Driven, a conversation about how startups leverage their social mission as competitive advantage. Mission Driven is hosted by Better Ventures, a seed stage venture fund in Oakland, California, backing entrepreneurs using science and technology to address the world's biggest challenges. You can find us on the web at better.bc and on Twitter at Better Ventures. I'm Rick Moss from Better Ventures, and today we have a very special guest with us. He is an entrepreneur and an investor, both. Mark Tarpening is a venture partner at Spiro Ventures. The VCs that you want to get involved with actually care about the mission. You want to have your investors aligned with your mission. You don't want them to simply be aligned with trying to make the shortest, you know, the, the, the most profit in the shortest amount of time, because that really may not be good for the mm-hmm. long-term success of the company. And Mark is also a founder of Tesla, one of the most iconic companies in the world by any standard, but in particular, a company that is one of the biggest success stories in mission-driven entrepreneurship. Tesla has arguably created the category for electric vehicles, but beyond that, it has given the auto industry the shove that was needed to push nearly every OEM into the EV business. And it has pushed a number of sovereign entities and countries to declare that every vehicle will be electrified by such and such a date. And we're seeing an avalanche of that in Europe. And I personally don't think that would be happening if it weren't for Tesla. Uh, And for that, we all owe you a great debt of gratitude. And as if that weren't enough, Mark is now an investor backing entrepreneurs, much like himself, who are, quote unquote, building the future we all want to live in at Spiro Ventures. He grew up in Sacramento, went to public high school there. You want to give a shout out to your... your Rio Americano. All you uh, high school kids out there listening. <laughs> woot, woot. Uh, he has a computer science degree from Cal. Uh, welcome, Mark. Yeah, thank you. It's great to be here. I have to confess that you've been on my list of people to get to know for years. And it's only recently that we've gotten to know you because we're now investors uh, swimming in the same pond, as it were. And uh, we're very excited to have you here. Why don't we start off with a discussion about Tesla? Maybe talk about the origins. I'm not sure most people know that it was not simply started by Elon Musk one day in a garage with just him and his electric motors. And there's much more to the story. How did it all start? Yeah, so in 2003, Martin Eberhard and I uh, had decided to leave the company that we were at, which was a, a really interesting internet plumbing company. It was fun. It was super great, but uh, bad timing, you know, business timing on that. And we left that company and we're looking for what to do next. And we really wanted to do something that had a much higher mission than things we'd done in the past. And we settled on trying to figure out how to reduce oil consumption. And Martin was really coming at it from largely an environmental perspective. In 2003, you know, climate change was not as clear-cut as it is now. And in, uh, I had worked in the Middle East for years, and I really didn't like what our oil money was doing in the Middle East, particularly on the political sphere. So I was also quite motivated to reduce oil consumption. I was also you know, kind of a radical environmentalist, so it didn't take much. So we, in 2003, started Tesla. So you're working at an internet plumbing company, mm-hmm. and you decide to start a car company. Yeah. yeah. But it's an electric car company. And how'd company. that go? It worked great. Yeah. It's an electric car company. And, you know, cars, modern cars have a lot of computers and electric cars are essentially computers, networks, you know, obviously an electric motor and some wheels. And, like you a know, rolling laptop? 
Exactly. Yeah. It's got the battery. And, yeah, it's like a super high performance rolling laptop. <laughs> and, and Silicon Valley is really good at all of those things. Uh, not so much the wheels and stuff. We needed some help on that, but making the car go, we were pretty sure we could do. And um, talk a bit about you and Martin and your motivations and how do you think that manifested itself in a different kind of company, a different type of direction, a culture? I think so. We had this mission that as we you know, learned more and got further along, it was clearly going to be a big climate push. That's the great thing about oil is it's a problem in so many different dimensions. You know, almost any way of, of reducing oil consumption is, is a, a net positive for the world. So you know, as we built this, as we designed the business model and tried to figure out if we could really do it, we got more and more committed to the mission because we kept learning more things. And by the time we were, were ready to go raise money at the beginning of 2004, we had actually acquired another person to help us who heard our spiel. He was raising money for some other company. You know, he was out doing that. And we were trading tips on how to, you know, he would- How to make, fundraise. How to fundraise. He what did his say. presentation yeah. to us and we critiqued it. And then we did ours to him. And he said at the end of it, if I don't end up succeeding, I really want to come join you guys. You know, wow. I, I get it. I, I'm, I'm in. And that was our first indication that I think the mission could really resonate with people other than just ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so back to the origin story. So Elon didn't actually get involved. He was the fourth CEO of the company, something mm-hmm. like that. So a lot had gone on. Before, oh, yeah, before yeah, of course. To. So Elon was our lead investor in Series A. Okay. So we had secured two small VC funds down, you know, off of Sand Hill Road and then friends and family. Mm-hmm. And we were looking for a lead. We went down to, uh, I think it's Hawthorne was where SpaceX was at the time. You know, he was about a year into SpaceX. So long before he had launched anything, he was still trying to get his first motors. He hadn't even, you know, blown up his first motor yet. I mean, like he was, SpaceX was, was really nascent. And we went down and presented and he got it. He said, I, I, I love the mission. I, I really want to change the energy equation for the country. Uh, I'm in. And so that was an example where mission, I think, was the reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, he likes sports cars too, but I, th- I think, you know, fundamentally, it was the mission that hooked him. And he didn't become an operator until oh, five years in later. the company. Yeah. yeah, five years later. He was, yeah. he was chairman of the board because uh, he was a lead investor of, of, of A and was a very supportive board member participated in all the rounds, was mm-hmm. always very helpful in fundraising and helping us at various times are these big decisions that the board has to help the CEO with. And he was certainly helped lead those discussions. He was always supportive of the company. Uh, and I think because he supported the mission. Mm-hmm. If we had just been mm-hmm. making you know routers or something, I'm not yeah. sure he would have been nearly as supportive. Got it. So let's get into how your mission was a competitive advantage for you at Tesla. That's what we're trying right. to uncover in these conversations is, you know, that it's it's something special with inside of a mission-driven entrepreneur and it drives them to, to outperform ordinary entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. And is there a story you can tell or any there's specific examples there's, you can think there's, of? There's, there's lots yeah. of stories. So one time, you know, I was literally driving to work. So it's in the morning, I'm driving like to work. Plain old internal it, combustion Absolutely, because I don't have an electric car because <laughs> there aren't any. They yep, don't exist right? in 2004. All right. I'm driving to work and as global warming was really becoming uh, understood, as the science was getting much more firmed up, there was a story on NPR that morning about the latest catastrophe that was being observed in the Arctic. Mm-hmm. Being a longtime Greenpeace member and involved in all kinds of different environmental groups, 
I'm driving down and I hear this story. I said, oh my gosh, I've just got to do something about that. You know, what can I do? Pull over. Pull over the car right now. No, just get to work. (laughs) Get to work. And I realized all I have to do is just get to my next meeting. Because if I can just get to the parking lot, I mean, that is what I'm working on. Right. Uh, And I mean, it's one thing to sort of know it intellectually, but that was when I felt it. That was the first time I really was like, oh my gosh, this has got to work because this is actually really important. So, you know, personally, it was hugely motivating. Yeah. And then can you think of an example when it was a, a big advantage for you operating and, oh, yeah. and enabled you to succeed? So one of the things, you know, we were in stealth mode for a few years, so or a couple of years. So when we had our big rollout and announced ourselves to the public, I was with the original Roadster. We had a big coming out party down in Los Angeles and the governor was there, which was Schwarzenegger at the time, which was pretty cool. He's into the mission as well, which is why he came down. That got us a lot of great PR that we didn't have any money for. We still don't, Tesla, as far as I know, has never done an ad, but we had very limited budgets. That's amazing. Yeah, I don't, I don't think there's ever been an ad. We have very limited budgets on all things. You know, we were mm-hmm. you know, a little scrappy startup. So when we had this coming out party, we began getting these solicitations from the auto shows, the Pebble Beaches and the yeah. you know, Detroit, the LA and Detroit yeah. Auto Show. Maybe not the Detroit sure. one, but the, the LA yeah. one for yeah. sure in San Francisco. Yeah. And they would you know, start with, we'd love to give you a spot, you know, a nice spot. And uh, it's only $100,000. And I remember the marketing person coming into this meeting and saying, hey, you know, we've got this great spot, but it's a hundred grand. And you know, we're just like, there's no way. You have like a $4,000 budget for the year. You can get, yeah. you can get some, some logoed cups or something, but yeah. you know, there's nothing else. That's all we got. <laughs> Stand so, out front. Yeah, so yeah. we said, yes, thank you, but no. And then they came back with 50000 And the KE guys come back to, came back to the meeting and said, oh my gosh, that's not 50000 We're like, it doesn't matter, right? This is still, we have no budget. And then the auto show came back. What if it was free and we gave you a really good spot? And that, again, was an indication that they wanted to have some admittedly high-tech and new and shiny mm-hmm, thing. Mm-hmm. But also, they wanted to show that the car industry was getting it. Now, the car industry actually wasn't getting it, but that's okay. We could use that to our advantage mm-hmm. because we got it and we wanted to be out in front of those customers. So we were able to get some incredible exposure at some of the top wow, places. Free. So that helped us you know, tremendously. Any other free things you were able to get over time? Oh, yeah. So our first retail establishment was in Menlo Park on El Camino, really close to the Stanford Mall. Mm-hmm. Great location. Like prime, prime. Prime location. location yeah. And in that location, there had been a car dealership. There had been a couple of car dealerships there. And they had all moved. And the reason why, because that area was being redeveloped, it was, I think, owned perhaps by Stanford. And they had a big redevelopment that was going on. And this was circa 2006. And we were not quite looking for a retail location yet. Our car wasn't going to be really out and on the road for another year. But we were kind of looking a little bit. And the city of Menlo Park came to us and said, we want you to be in that spot. You know, you're just the kind of exciting company that we want. You're on this carbon reduction mission, which the city council is very much involved in trying to figure out how to decarbonize Menlo Park. We would love to have you in this spot. And we said, well, prime retail like that, we're thinking industrial tilt up somewhere off of, you know, the freeway somewhere. And they're like, no, 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 we we can make a deal for you to afford that. And we said, that just, just isn't possible. We can't afford that. And they negotiated a deal between 
the landlord at Stanford and the city, which allowed us to get in that space at a tiny fraction of what it would have cost to be in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, we knew it was going to eventually go away. What we didn't realize was the financial crisis was going to hit and that we were going to get to stay there for 10 years before mm-hmm. they found a new tenant or before they demolished it to redevelop it. And you think you would have gotten that offer if you were not an electric car company? Oh, no. There's no no way. I mean, we, we, we were the perfect candidate yeah. in that we could use the facility as is, and we were the right kind of company in that they were trying to promote all of these different environmental efforts that, that Menlo Park was doing mm. uh, to, to help green the city. Amazing. How about other things? Hiring? Hiring customers? Hiring, definitely. Yeah. Once people knew what we were doing, we had many employees that came in and that would apply and there was no way we could afford them. Mm-hmm. And I, one of our, our software engineers, I really remember this conversation where he, he came in and we do the interview and I'm thinking, oh, this is great, except he's got this super high-powered, high-paid job somewhere else at a big company. And I know the salary structure. There's no way we can afford him. So at the end of it, I said, you know, we'd love to have you, but you're not going to get an offer that's anywhere close. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I, I wish we could, but like, we just don't have the money. And he said, oh, I, I know that. I, before I came, I talked it over with my wife and I said, this is so important. We need to figure out how to make this work. Mm. They offered me the job. Wow. So he said, you know, we're, we're in. Wow. You know, we're in because his wife is in yeah. too because she's decided that she's going to make sure yeah. that, that she can float the family at, at their reduced income. So you're talking like less than half of what the person was making? Or? I suspect it was like half. half I'm not yeah. really sure. That's a pretty big hit. I mean, it, it was a great salary for, for a little tiny startup, mm-hmm. but compared mm-hmm. to the Googles or Facebooks mm-hmm. or whatever, we just couldn't compete with that. And yet we were able to get amazing talent that way mm-hmm. because these people really believe in the mission. Mm-hmm. I think for the record, they ended up being good investors because they... Uh, As it turned out, they, they did just fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they're driving great cars. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> All right. How about customers? Would you say there's an advantage having a, a social or environmental mission? Yes. Customers? I, I think that... So when we were forming the company and we were making that first PowerPoint deck, you got to talk about the customer. And we were trying to figure out if there really were customers for an electric car. Now... There were no electric cars on the market at the time, so we couldn't really show that. We could look at electric cars that had been on the market only a few years before, before they were yanked off the market. and They were there for the zero emissions mandate. And then that was rewritten, and so they all got canceled. And like the EV1? The EV1, yeah. Well, the EV1 and the Toyota RAV4. Those were the only two that were mm-hmm. really electric cars that, that were desirable. And so we looked at those customers and those customers both, you know, loved those cars, but they were also very well-off customers. It wasn't about saving money on gas. Mm -hmm. It was about not using gas. Mm -hmm. They were willing to pay extra if needed to not Mm -hmm. use gas. Mm -hmm. And that was an exciting opportunity because one of the assumptions of electric cars before Tesla was that people bought electric cars to save money because they're incredibly efficient per mile driven, per kilometer driven. So the fuel cost, if you will, in this case, electricity, is a fraction of what you pay uh, at the pump for Mm -hmm. for gasoline. Mm -hmm. So the way that everyone thought about it was that the reason why you bought an electric car was so that you could save money on gas. Mm -hmm. And it was purely an economic decision. Mm -hmm. And our whole thesis was that it wasn't an economic decision. That in fact, we were going to have to go after people who could afford to buy an expensive car, in this case, a sports car, mm-hmm. in order to 
pay for that development cost mm-hmm. because we weren't a giant company. We couldn't make millions and millions of them to drive the price down. Mm-hmm. So our customers had to believe in the mission. It wasn't about saving money. It's got to be about something else. When we had our coming out party and we began taking um, deposits, and these deposits were the full price of the car. So did you have like a prototype car or something? Yeah, we, this? we had, this is way before we had the retail space. Okay. So this was at these parties and these events we would hold. Mm. And we had two engineering prototypes mm. that we would keep fully buffed up. Now, these were production intent cars. Mm-hmm. They were not production process. Mm-hmm. And we made 10 of them. And the other eight of them were being tested and abused in various ways, including being crashed into walls at high speed and all mm. the things you have to do to... to on serve. purpose. On purpose, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But those customers, though, would write these very large checks. And I would ask sometimes, I would say, wow, you know, I, would, like, I was... Like six uh, figures? Oh yeah. yeah. So so the the initially it was seventy five thousand, and mm-hmm. then it was later a hundred thousand. Mm-hmm. And they would write these checks and literally just hand them over to 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 me or to yeah. one of the other people at a party. Be nice. Yeah, and I'd say, wow, you know, this, I'm so impressed, and thank you. And they would frequently say stuff like, I don't know if you're really going to be able to deliver the car, but I so believe in the mission that I'm willing to take that risk. That's amazing. And I and I really want you to deliver the car, but. So they knew that, that their we, money might not actually well, turn into never, a car. We had never delivered a car. <laughs> that they could we'd ever drive. Never, we'd never built <laughs> right. a car, right? <laughs> but I mean, they were willing to take they, that risk. They were willing to take that risk. And you know, several people said that they believed this was their way of investing in the mm. future. Even though they weren't investing in this, they were simply making sure that there was product demand so that a company like ours could exist because they felt it was so important. Mm-hmm. And then they all hopefully really enjoyed their cars. We had awesome customers and they came along for the journey. We communicated with them a lot. We had events for yeah. them because, you know, we were over a year late delivering their cars mm-hmm. and I don't think we lost a single reservation. Is there like a club now of all the people who bought the original roadsters and they oh, I think there is, rally yeah. like the motorcycle gangs, there, mo- there, motorcycle there, rallies? There, you know? are, there are occasional, yeah. I have heard of such things. Yeah, I've never been to one. <laughs> Got it. And then in fundraising, do you feel it was an advantage? I mean, I think most entrepreneurs listening are thinking like, do I... Do I talk about my mission with an investor? Because they might think that's not going to make them money and, and maybe I hide that. You know? Right. Actually, I think that the VCs that you want to get involved with actually care about the mission. You want to have your investors aligned with your mission. You don't want them to simply be aligned with trying to make the shortest, you know, the, the, the most profit in the shortest amount of time because that really may not be good for the mm-hmm. long-term success of the company. Mm-hmm. It certainly helped us. I mean, obviously, it was what attracted Elon to the project to begin with. DBL Ventures was one of our funders, and they sought us out Mm. because of the mission fit with their portfolio. Mm -hmm. And this was at a time the word clean tech didn't exist, and there really wasn't a category for us. Mm -hmm. But there were already companies or firms that were looking at at this space and really wanted to be part of that future. Mm -hmm. And I think you said earlier what Elon said to you when he was investing and why he was doing it? He really wanted to change the energy equation of the United States and decarbonize the entire transportation sector. And we were completely mission aligned from the beginning with him. Wow. And he's, you know, obviously done well as a CEO as well. Yeah. Okay. So for all you entrepreneurs out there and all any, any mission-driven skeptics, I don't know, I, I imagine they're probably not listening to this, but you should. If you are a mission-driven entrepreneur, you're getting free rent, <laughs> you're getting free trade shows, you're getting 
team members who will work for you at cut rates as much as half off. You have customers who will kind of pay upfront and handsomely for your product because they, they believe in what you're doing. And you have investors who are looking for people who are driven by something special and they want to solve these big problems in the world and they're eager to invest because of it. And you heard it all here from a founder <laughs> of Tesla himself that, you know, one of the most incredible companies in, in the history of, of capitalism. Yeah, it's, it's certainly worked for us. Yeah. We talk about something called mission drift, which is the possibility that you could start off producing clean energy and end up getting into coal or whatever it might be, right? As Tesla scaled, would you say there were times when there were challenges or questions or demanding investors or whatever it might be and you had to fend them off? Did this come up? Oh, yeah. Yeah, and it wasn't actually really as we were getting big because then, you know, it was pretty clear we were making lots of cars. It was when we really needed money, when we were very uh, cash poor. We would get these opportunities that would come up from big Fortune 500 companies. Mm -hmm. And they would say, hey, can you, instead of doing that car thing, can you make electric scooters or electric mm -hmm. water ski boats mm -hmm. or yeah. snowmobiles and stuff? Mm -hmm. And, you know, these were contracts that they were willing to pay millions of dollars for us to do. And mm -hmm. we'd have to think about, wow, that would actually be really nice. That would help defray some of our engineering mm -hmm. costs. But... In each case, we always looked at it through the lens of mission and we said, we need to get cars on the road because the cars are what changes the equation. So we could win 100% of the ski boat market and make no difference in climate change. Mm -hmm. Whereas if we had a meaningful impact in the car market, mm -hmm. that could change everything. Mm -hmm. So we would look at these and say, is this mission aligned? And the answer was almost always no. We use that mission lens to vet any of these other opportunities that came along. Mm -hmm. And you think in the end, turning those down made you more successful somehow? I think that if we had gotten distracted by making electric snowmobiles, we would never have succeeded in mm -hmm. making cars because mm -hmm. it was difficult enough to make cars. Mm -hmm. But to then be distracted by something else, I just don't think we could have done mm -hmm. it. So you and Martin could look at each other and say like, this is not what we should be doing. Why are we right. doing this? Yeah, right. It, it almost always those discussions were very short. And also in the context of mission-aligned investors, you know, at Sparrow, we frequently will look at companies and say, you know, does this fit the mission of Sparrow? Mm -hmm. You know, is this a company that really is making a future better? And if it's not, we don't have to spend any more time on it. That's a perfect segue. So uh, why don't we talk about that? You've now become an investor. And tell us about Spiro, what makes it special, why you decided to join. Well, I really like the fact that they don't just invest in anything. You know, they're mm -hmm. not just investing in the next shiny object and it's going to make whatever the absolute best return is. They need venture returns. I mean, it's a venture fund like mm -hmm. all you know, other VCs. But they're not going to invest in things that aren't aligned with a larger mission of having a future, which is a better future than we live in now. Mm -hmm. So that's what drew me there. Uh, I got to sit in on a bunch of their partner meetings before I joined and watching them go through the companies that had been presented to them with that lens mm -hmm. of, you know, does this fit our mission? Mm -hmm. It was very impressive. Mm -hmm. And do you want to say a bit about how it originated? It was a, a team from Omidyar Network. Omidyar Networks, right. Omidyar, founder of eBay, eBay right. and essentially decided to form an independent uh, entity 
and created Spiro Ventures. Correct. And uh, would you have considered joining a fund that's not focused on mission-driven entrepreneurs? No. 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 Why not? Life is only so long. And you want to have, at least I want to have, you know, as big of impact as I can on the things I care about. So if it's just about making some more money, that's just not that interesting. Done that. So. Mm-hmm. Do you want to say a bit about like the mechanics? That's- yeah. So, so Sparrow is a $100 million fund, mm-hmm. late seed, early series A, mm-hmm. where the typical check sizes are between $1 and $3 million. Mm-hmm. We like to lead if we can. Mm-hmm. We like to have some kind of board representation if mm-hmm. we can't lead. So my focus is on various sustainability initiatives and our companies that we have. One of my uh, favorites is actually called Drone Seed. And Mm -hmm. what they do is they have this fleet of drones that replants forests after wildfires. And as you can imagine, especially here in California, that has become a very big interest for a Mm -hmm. lot of people. Not only in the managed forests where these fires have gone through and wiped out a year's worth of production, which is bad economically for those companies, but also we really want that carbon sequestered in some form or another. So drone seed allows you to reforest those areas quite quickly. So I think that that's an exciting company. And uh, it's essentially a vehicle company, right? It, you know, people always say, well, when, you know, when are you going to do you know, flying cars? Well, this is I guess, as close as we're going to yeah. get in the, in the short term is, is these flying seed delivery vehicles. Got it. And um, are there areas that you think are kind of hot or interesting right now that you're looking for? We have looked in many of the alternative protein spaces. I think that that can be quite exciting. We really are going to reinvent the mm. food systems in okay. the next you know, 20, 30 years, whether that's lab-grown meat, if you will, the sort of molecular-grown meat or mm-hmm. different kinds of plant-based meats. It's a little hard as an investor to figure out which of those technologies or brands are going to succeed. Mm-hmm. So we haven't really made an investment there, but we do follow that area quite closely. I think that uh, recycling sort of true recycling mm-hmm. where you're getting the material back to virgin is very important. Mm. So aluminum is a case where yeah. that happens now. And, and we're really, really good at that. Mm-hmm. Even actually old lead acid car batteries are also quite good at being recycled, mm-hmm. partially because they're so incredibly toxic that all the industrialized world has all these tight controls around how to, to make those recycled. I think that there's a lot of work that can be done in making all of our you know, existing consumer products, especially mm-hmm. around packaging, mm-hmm. uh, truly recyclable or in some way being able to not end up as little micro particles in the ocean forever. Mm-hmm. Like that, that is not a solution. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's a bunch of interesting stuff going on there. Some of it using synthetic biology, some of it just using fancy machines and AIs. Okay, and as a way of wrapping up here, how would you describe your personal mission. If you were to say Mark Tarpening is on a mission to what? I am very focused on trying to create a sustainable future. So I believe in this vision where at some enlightened future, we will have a sustainable society that is not consuming the future like we do now. And I want to get as many species across that transition point as well. And we can Mm -hmm. only do that by reducing our CO2 outputs, our greenhouse gas emissions. All right. Mark Tarpening, venture partner at Spiro Ventures and founder of Tesla, on a mission to create a sustainable society with as many species as possible. Thank you, Mark. Great, well said. Great to have you. Great fun. Thanks for listening to Mission Driven. To find out more about Better Ventures, visit us at better.vc or on Twitter at Better Ventures.